There was a season in this larger church where extended fast became really in vogue. And so a number of men on this particular large church's staff uh, began to enter into these extended fast of uh, what they were really shooting for was 40 days. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I mean, it's biblical, but it sounds crazy, right? Uh, I mean, they were, they were really looking at biblical examples Examples like Moses, who you remember went up on the Mount Sinai and um, fasted for 40 days before God handed him his law. Or Jesus, who in Matthew chapter 4 fasted for 40 days before confronting Satan himself in the desert. So they were looking at these texts and they said, hey, this is what Jesus did, this is what Moses did, this is what we ought to do. And so they started having these extended fast. Well, I have a friend um, in, in college. I had a friend, and she actually was a member of this church and had a friend on staff, and she still remembers one day, uh, one of these friends, this guy, he came over to her house, and uh, he said, uh, hey, what's going on? Um, might if I check out your fridge? And she said, yeah, go ahead, check out my fridge. And so he ran to the fridge and found this big, like, Tupperware thing full of food and said, so what's this? She said, oh, well, this is uh, it's taco salad from last night. And he goes, oh, could I have some? And she said, well, sure, go ahead and get whatever you want, take it. And so he said, thanks. A few seconds later, she heard him rustling around in the kitchen again. And she said, what are you looking for? And he said, well, a blender. Do you have a blender? I said, well, yeah, you yeah, have a, a blender. It's, it's under the microwave. And he said, all right, thanks. And so he grabs a blender and he sets it up. And then all of a sudden, he hears him rustling around. And he, what, are you, what are you looking for? And he said, well, um, I really need some chips and milk. And so she said, well, okay, look, I, I give up. What, what are you doing in there? And he said, oh, well, I'm doing the 40-day fast, and so I'm just liquefying all my food, and so I'm going to have a taco salad for lunch today as part of my fast. I said, well, that's not fasting, right? Well, I, I think that what we had was a little bit of a confusion about uh, what fasting is. I mean, either she was confused or he was confused. But there was a confusion about what it looks like to actually fast before the Lord. And so that's really what we're going to be thinking about this morning is fasting. In fact, as we look in Mark, we're going to be exposed to a group of people who come before Jesus. And they're a little confused about the disciples and they're not fasting. And and that's exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. See, we're right back in Mark and his gospel in our series, The Amazing True Story of Jesus, where we've been thinking about who Jesus is according to Gospels Mark, uh, Gospel. Now, as you know, we've been going through this Gospel, and, and we've seen that uh, Mark has really given us a lot to think about as far as who Jesus is. In fact, he opens up his Gospel by displaying the incredible, unparalleled authority of Jesus. He has authority over demons and sickness. And he had such authority that people had never seen before that often it leads the crowd stunned saying something like, we've never seen anything like this before. But in chapter 2, where we are this morning, you'll remember as it began, the, the chapter begins with some confrontations where the Pharisees begin asking questions of Jesus about whether or not he was really playing by the right rules. I mean, Jesus doesn't look like he's doing what he ought to be doing if he is who he says he is. I mean, Jesus claimed to forgive sins, and he ate with sinners. And that left the Pharisees feeling a little bit like Jesus was spiritually careless, exactly like they would expect from those Galileans. So this week, Mark introduces us to yet another conflict with Jesus. They ask, why did Jesus' disciples feast while John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast. 
doesn't make sense. Remember, I mean, last week, we, or last time we were here, we left off with the disciples feasting with sinners. And now there's a conflict about fasting. And they're, they're asking, why is it that your disciples are feasting with sinners when they ought to be fasting like other faithful renewal movements? And see, this is where Mark is going to introduce us to what Jesus has to say about fasting. And what we're going to see is that Jesus tells us that we will fast until Jesus returns so we can feast with God. We will fast until Jesus returns so that we can feast with God. That's the big idea that we're going to be thinking about this morning. Now, you'll remember that we just left Jesus feasting with sinners. The Pharisees did not like that. And and here, people have a problem because Jesus is not fasting like the others. His disciples aren't. He doesn't play by their rules. Now, just take note of how this problem unfolds in verse 18. So look with me again in your copy of God's Word, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. And here's how the, the whole situation begins. Beginning in verse 18, this is what it says. Now, John's disciples, and speaking of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples did not fast? Now, our first point here is the disciples, we realize they didn't fast. They're not fasting. Now, we don't know who it is in this text that comes to Jesus with a question about his fasting, but, but apparently some in the crowds who have been following and watching him have noticed that Jesus, his disciples, are not fasting like other spiritual men do. Not like the Pharisees and not like John the Baptist and his followers. And maybe you're wondering this morning as you, as you hear this, you're thinking to yourself, but what is fasting? I mean, I don't know if I really have a solid understanding of that myself. Well, if you don't know what fasting is, the Bible normally speaks of fasting as giving up food for spiritual reasons. You take a a moment, a period uh, of time, uh, maybe a day, maybe a meal, maybe a week. Uh, In some cases in the Bible, we've seen 40 days, people spending without food so they can focus on spiritual needs and desires. Now, I still remember when I was in high school, I was at a youth camp and David Nasser Uh, was speaking, and he said, I want y'all all all to take a fast, but you don't have to take a fast from food, you can take a fast from something else, right? Like TV. I remember thinking to myself, that's that's not right. That's not what fasting is. Because when you read about fasting, fasting is from food, and of course, if you take a fast from TV, you can survive, like forever, right? But if you fast from food, eventually you're going to die. There's nothing more basic than food. Food's a bigger deal. So is that really fasting if you take a break from uh, something like TV or something other than food? That, that's a question I had in my mind. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I, I really thought that at the time David Nasser was weak. I mean, that's a weak way to fast, right? Like, let's go all in if we're going to do this. But as I continued to read and to learn, I later discovered that he wasn't the only guy that said this stuff. I later discovered that um, uh, Richard Foster, who um, his book Celebrating uh, Discipline is like, was sort of one of the main resources for spiritual disciplines uh, when I was in college. Uh, he said, fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Now, when he says a, a denial of a normal uh, function, 
Um, for some of us, uh, that would probably include like smartphones and looking at them every six seconds, right? It's pretty normal for us. Uh, he's basically saying there are other things other than food that you can uh, that you can fast from. And later I found that Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a very conservative scholar, said fasting, hear this, he says fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So anything, so that you can focus more on spiritual things. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones. And then later I read uh, John Piper, who has written a lot on fasting, and he says Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, not exclusively food, but like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and His work in our lives. In other words, fasting according to these men can be from something other than food, uh, things like social media, TV, coffee, or even romance with your wife to focus more on spiritual things like prayer. I know some of you are thinking, like, that, that's great. Like, there are all kinds of things that I could just sort of fast from. I could fast from rutabagas. I mean, who likes rutabagas? Um, I've been fasting for rutabagas faithfully since I was born. Um, but what we know is, is remember, it has to be you're fasting from something that you normally would do and want. So if you're like, I'm going to fast from Diet Cokes, but you only drink regular Coke, you're not really doing anything, right? It's an intentional laying down of something that you normally do in your life that is difficult, that causes you to think and concentrate on why you're giving up this thing. It is self-denial to think about God and spiritual things and your need of Him. And there are a few things, uh, as we see in here, uh, there are a few things as basic as food. I think it's valid. I think it's valid to give up something other than food for a fast. But to be clear, the Bible normally speaks of fasting from food, not, not water, to pray for a litany of reasons that we're going to discuss in just a minute. So that's what fasting is. But what is the fasting problem here? What, what is it that these men, this crowd, is so upset about and confused about when they approach Jesus. See, Jesus' disciples don't seem to be breaking any specific biblical command concerning fasting. If you read through your Bible cover to cover, uh, you'll find that the Bible says a lot about fasting. There are about 77 mentions of fasting in the Bible. Uh, But there are not a lot of explicit uh, commands about fasting. We have one, right, in Leviticus when it's talking about Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. They had to fast then. Uh, But, but, we don't really hear any other commands about fasting until you get to Zephaniah, and there it doesn't seem to be a command, but they've just decided to observe four other days, right, of fasting. And when you get to the New Testament, Jesus really isn't often telling people to fast in a commanding kind of sense. It's more like Jesus is just assuming it. So when he speaks of it in Matthew, he says, when you fast, right, this is how you do it. Not to be seen before men, I don't want you flaunting your fasting. But he says, I I want you to understand that fasting is something that spiritual people just do. So the New Testament seems to speak of fasting as sparsely as parsley. It seems to assume fasting everywhere. So what's going on here? Why in Mark 2 are they upset about the fasting if it's not a violation of some clear biblical mandate? I think commentator R.T. France is helpful. 
He tells us in his commentary that it seems that the real conflict here is over competing renewal movements, right? Jesus' followers simply don't seem to be as fervent, religious, or self-denying as the other movements in their fasting. And, and, and they're curious, they're like, why is it that you just don't look as spiritual as the, uh, these other guys? I mean, they really put on a show with their fasting, and your guys just don't. And Jesus responds to their question with three illustrations to explain why Jesus' disciples have been feasting instead of fasting. And each illustration that we're about to look at makes the same basic point. And the same basic point is this. Jesus is ushering in a new creation that shouldn't be judged on past expectations. Because He's about to change everything. In other words, uh, what we're about to see is, is that Jesus is going to respond saying, uh, you are trying to fit Jesus into some kind of expectational grid that you have created in your understanding of religion, and you don't understand that the God-man Himself has just dropped down. He is the one around whom you need to reorient everything you think about yourself, God, and others, and how you meet with Him and pursue Him. Everything needs to change in light of who He is. So that leads us to a really important fact that I think if you are here and you're a non-Christian that I'd like just for you to know. I know that a lot of religions fast. It's not just Christianity. We're not the only people that fast. All kinds of religions. We have Buddhists and Hindu and others who fast religiously. Muslims, of course, fast all the time. Ramadan, they must fast. It's kind of what defines you as a Muslim. But as Christians, we know that we are not defined by fasting but by Christ that's our identity it's wrapped up in him and we also know that as Christians we are different in the sense that we have an earnest and great hope in our fasting see when we fast we are not fasting to a God who has not revealed himself to us we have not fasted we do not fast to a God who has not already come down and entered into life with us in the form of Jesus Christ who died for us and was raised from the dead and intercedes for us even now at the right hand of the Father. So that when we pray as fasting folks, we are praying through one to one who has actually walked before us and knows our suffering so that when we cry out to Him, we know we have an audience with God Himself who loves us, not as distant enemies or aliens or folks who are somehow like maybe closely but not deeply related to Him. He looks at us as sons and daughters. And that's the hope that we have in fasting. It is a beautiful gift that Christians have that goes far beyond any other religion. So, let's look at Jesus and why He says these disciples didn't fast. Here's our second point. We should not expect the new to conform to the old. That's what He wants them to see. We don't expect the new, which is Jesus, to conform to the old which is the Pharisees and John the Baptist and the other teachers of the past. See, a new day has come and disciples should feast until they fast. That's what we see in verses 19 to 20. A new day has come. It's arrived. It's a good day. You didn't know it. You missed it. It wasn't on your calendars. You weren't ready for it. But it's here and I'm here to tell you it is a new day. Everything has changed. That's what Jesus wants them to see. And just catch what Jesus does here. He counters their question with a question asking... In verses 19 to 20, he asks them, he says this. He says, why, uh, or rather he says, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, 
And then they will fast in that day. Right? So you know here that you're not supposed to fast. It's common sense. You're not supposed to fast at a wedding, right? I mean, it's probably a bad sign if you show up to a wedding and the bride has been fasting, not because she wants to fit into her wedding gown, but because she is terrified and prayerful about the man that she's about to be stuck with for the rest of her life. It's not a good thing, right? I mean, uh, fasting is something that typically you do when you have earnest need and desire and you're beseeching God's face for help. And hopefully your wedding is at the time that you're, you're looking for real help, right? And here Jesus says something really obvious. Look, when you're at a wedding, you don't fast. That's not the time to fast. The, the wedding is a time for celebration and rejoicing and joy. And so if the bride is fasting, it's not good. And he says here that I am the bridegroom. So he gives you the picture of a wedding, of a joyous affair that is going on before them. He says, this is what's happening. We are the context of a wedding right now, not the context of sadness and and fasting. And when Israel forsakes God, you'll remember uh, that, I'm sorry, the evidence we've uncovered thus far uh, never depicts Jesus or the Messiah before he came as being a bridegroom. That image, we don't have that before we get here in Mark chapter 2 with this illustration that Jesus draws up for us. But what's interesting is, is the Bible does repeatedly refer to God himself as a bridegroom with his people Israel. We see that all over the Old Testament. In fact, a a verse that is uh, often nestled in my heart is Jeremiah 2. I love the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 2, 2 to 3, we'll see there that uh, God is speaking to his people. Israel have, have forsaken him. And God, in His tenderness, reminds them of their love for Him in the Exodus. Remember the beginning of our story when I drew you out of Israel? My love for you and your love for me? It was like a a couple on a honeymoon. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful and sweet. And He says in Jeremiah 2, 2 2-3, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. And Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. You see it? You hear what God says? I, I remember when your love for me was like that of a young bride for the bridegroom, and God is that bridegroom. Maybe Jesus here in Mark 2 is just tipping the hat to the fact that he's God yet again. But him speaking of here, I think he is saying something else. See, I, I think that here he is highlighting that the new creation is erupting before them, right? I mean, a marriage, isn't that a picture of something new, a new relationship that is starting? And and a bridegroom is coming out, and it gives you these anticipations of something wonderful that's about to happen. And we know that in this culture, uh, you would have a a man that would be uh, betrothed to a woman. Very strong relationship. We've talked about this in the past. Only thing that could break it was a divorce. But they weren't officially together until the consummation. And so he would leave to go prepare a place for his wife. He would come by, back to get her and they would be wed together. And so here we see uh, this picture of Jesus coming for his bride as the great bridegroom, as the beginning of a new creation. This is not a, a new image in the Bible. We see it all over the place. You'll remember the pinnacle of that first creation in Genesis 1. It was God's creation of man and woman in his image and after his likeness 
He put that marriage together as the pinnacle of his creative act, saying this, above all else, will express who I am before creation, bearing my image all over the universe. And isn't, it, isn't that the point here? Isn't this a picture that Jesus has come to do something new? And I, I don't think this is talking about the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament here. I, I don't think that's where he's going with this, saying that Jesus has come to do away with the Old Testament. See, here John and the Pharisees represent the old dead man created standards which are unable to give life. And Jesus represents what is new and able to bring new life. He's saying you don't need to look to John the Baptist and the Pharisees and try to look at their standards and turn around and judge me. I am here as the great judge. I am the one by whom all the standards are set. Something new is happening before you. Now here's the deal. I believe that he really gives us a picture in these first two ver- these short two verses about fasting. I think we can learn three things at least about fasting that I don't want us to miss. Three things about fasting I don't want us to miss here. In verses 20 to 21. First, one reason we fast is because we long for Jesus. One reason we fast is because we long for Jesus. See, fasting reminds us that we really should be hungry for more Jesus. That's what fasting reminds us of. You know, as our stomachs cry out, we speak back to them the reason that we're fasting. It's because we long for Christ. We don't want to get too comfortable in this broken world. And many of us have all kinds of... uh, experiences that help remind us not to get too comfortable, right? Maybe that's you this morning. You're thinking, I don't need to be reminded not to be comfortable in this world. Uh, You're sick. Uh, Maybe you have a a relationship that is broken apart, or you have an empty wallet, or there's death that's happened in your family with someone that you love, and they all remind you that this is not your home. Despite so much of the good that is all around you, you see there is much to commend a new beginning, a new start, a rescue that needs to take place. But we can easily forget. We can forget the goodness of this world. Uh, We can forget the badness of this world and the fact that we need something more and what we are actually looking for. Just think about it. The followers of John the Baptist and the Jews fasted as they awaited the coming Messiah. And and they have become so self-righteous and satisfied with their fasting that they've forgotten the real reason why they were fasting. They fasted for more of God. And when the God-man shows up, they don't realize that it's time to turn from fasting to feasting. I mean, how can you miss it? We need more Jesus. But there's a second thing that we see here uh, about fasting, and that's that we should still fast today. We should still fast today. You might say, I didn't see that in the text. Where was that? I saw it say, the disciples didn't have to fast because Jesus is here. And I think that's good news. But notice that Jesus says in verse 20 that he will be taken away from them, these disciples, and then they will fast in that day. And see, it's that day today. The day that he's speaking of that he was taken away was the day that he died on the cross and was buried and was raised again. And then came down and taught and then ascended to the heavens where he sits now enthroned. So he's, he's not with them anymore. And he says, this is the day that we fast. And it's still that day until Jesus comes back. So as they should have been fasting before Jesus came, because we're looking for Jesus. 
But then they stop because Jesus is here. We're good now. Well, now Jesus has gone to heaven again. He's going to come back. And so we fast until he gets back, right? It's exactly what he's saying. We fast until that day. Of course, here Jesus, uh, speaking of that, gives us this promise that one day we will be reunited with Jesus when he returns to judge the living and the dead. But until that day, we fast. Uh, you remember, you can fast from a variety of things. It's normally food. It's important uh, when you fast to focus your fast. Okay, so we're going to be talking about fasting in a minute. We don't want just like not to eat and feel like we've pleased God, but we ought to be coupling it with intentional prayer where we're focusing on something, some need that we have, some hope that we have. Famed missionary David Livingstone, speaking of this, says, fasting and vigils without a special object in view are time to to run waste. So it's a helpful discipline spiritually to fast. Many of the great men and women of the past that we respect fasted. And I can't help but remind you in this moment, because every time I think about fasting, I'm reminded of Charles Spurgeon and um, a very encouraging, glowing endorsement of fasting that he gave. Listen closely. You'll remember Charles Spurgeon. He said this, this should inspire you. I can advise brethren to try fasting. It will be good for their health and it certainly will not harm them. Okay, y'all weren't listening. Supposed to be funny. Help the pastor out. Yeah, it, it, it's, he says, you know, it, it's not going, it's going to be good for your health and it's not going to hurt you. I think we can do more than that, right? We can do more than it's just not going to hurt you. There's surely some spiritual good to this. Now, I've already named a number of great Christians who valued fasting and there are more to come, but for now it's helpful to note that fasting seems to be basic, a basic spiritual discipline for Christians. Now, you can fast for one day or three days, or you can do an extended fast for a week or more. Uh, You always want to make sure you drink plenty of water, and I would suggest juice if you're going to be fasting more than three days, uh, especially if you start shaking and that sort of thing. But we know that fasting is something that we ought to be doing right now as we are able. It's not a command, but it is something that we should do as we are able to do. It's a good thing. And a third thing we learned about fasting here is that a is that we fast because we know that only Jesus is truly all-satisfying. We fast because we know that only Jesus is truly all-satisfying, right? We make ourselves hungry to remind our stomachs that what we really need is more Jesus. And, And when He's here, we don't need to fast anymore. When Jesus shows up, our joy will be made full. And He's what we've been waiting on. Make that He's who we've been waiting on. And like a bride longing to see her groom, along with all of creation, she waits. She knows this bride, when he comes, her joy will be made full. And fasting is really all about not settling with this world. Not settling for anything that this world has to offer. After we fast, we can eat, noting that it is good. The food of this world, it's good, as this world's food may be. But we long for the marriage feast of the Lamb. I hear the food's better. See, that's the table that we long to dine at. And that's why Christianity in its truest form is about joy and not mourning. But the bigger issue here than fasting that Jesus wants to draw our attention to, He assumes fasting, but He wants to draw our attention to and their attention to the newness that He ushered in. I mean, did you notice that? All three of these illustrations really are focusing on 
newness and not necessarily fasting? So notice, newness is more important than fasting in verses 21 to 22. So it's not that fasting is unimportant here, but Jesus is more concerned with how the new doesn't conform to their old expectations. It's not that the old is bad or evil, but it's time has passed. And Jesus offers two more quick illustrations to highlight this, with the first in verse 21. Look there again. Look at what Jesus says. This is the first of two quick illustrations he, he offers at the end. The first, notice he says, no one sews a piece of unchunked cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. So here, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, they used to, back in the day, have a, a job, a guy who would be called like a fuller, would come and clean and, co- and he would um, comb the cloth, removing natural oil and gum and other things. They would be washed away um, and it would be bleached so that they could use it to make new garments or make garments. An unfulled cloth could shrink when washed with the new cloth, ripping the old cloth, leaving it worse than when they came. So the point is, this, this little unfold new piece of cloth tied to old cloth would rip it. It wouldn't patch it and fix it. It would rip it. It, it couldn't contain the new thing that had happened. It couldn't fit into the grid. Now, the other picture that he gives is one of wineskins. Look in verse 22 there. He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, again, back then they made wineskins of soft, pliable leather. And that leather, over time and use, would grow brittle. And it would lose that elasticity that was necessary for new wine that would come in and ferment and expand. And so, new wine could cause an old wine bag to explode. Now, his point is that Jesus is this bridegroom who has newly come in, ushering in the new creation. He is the new cloth and the new wine. And the old existing religious traditions and structures of the Pharisees regarding forgiveness of sins or who you could eat with or whatever uh, couldn't contain the new day that Jesus ushered in. They needed to be ready for the newness of Christ. Followers would need to break free from them to follow Christ. In other words, they needed to quit trying to tell Jesus who he should be and pay more attention to who Jesus is by listening to Jesus' words. I think this is the same today. We still need to be cautioned from this. We can be tempted to want to create a Jesus of our own imagination, right? Pull out our coloring books and our colors. I did a lot of coloring over this vacation with my kids, Christmas and New Year's. A lot of coloring with Jack, trying to stay inside the lines. They sometimes didn't want to stay inside the lines. They wanted to make a new picture over what the picture, the line suggested. And so they would, you know, maybe create like a huge warrior over a princess eating monsters. It wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be, right? But they, they didn't want to be forced to conform to what was. And I think sometimes we can do that with Jesus. We can try to make Jesus something way different than who Jesus is and who he's revealed himself to be. We like to do a lot more talking and a lot less listening when it comes to Christ. Now, how do you know that? Well, how do you approach the scriptures? 
Do you go into the scriptures uh, looking for verses that really kind of just sort of support what you already believe and make you feel good about your already held belief system? Or are you actually going to the scriptures and asking them to correct you and change you and transform you so that you look more like the human that God has made you to be? Or do you go to your Bible and when you find things that are difficult for you, you say, well, that can't be right. The Bible got that wrong. I don't like that. I wish you would have said something else. If, you re- if God really knew who I was and who I am, he would have said it this way, right? So we still can go into our scriptures. We can still argue with God about who Christ actually is, trying to create a Christ that we desire him to be. But the way that we have been created, we have been created for the purpose of giving glory to God and submitting to him and all that he has called us to. That means that when we go before the word of God, we need to submit humbly to it, looking to be changed and made New, because Jesus really has brought in something new and better than this broken world has seen. We need to listen to God's word and become more intimate with the newness that he has ushered in for us in the new and better covenant. So much of Christian living is seeking to understand who Christ is, who we are in Christ, and how we ought to live as Christians in light of our relationship to Christ. It really is a new day. And we'll talk about this more in the future sermons, but for now... It means that Jesus has created a kingdom of sinners saved by grace who are being transformed by the power of the Spirit day by day, more and more, and the more faithful image bearers of God. And remember, Jesus said when the bridegroom left his disciples, they would fast. Jesus came and went, but we are promised that he will come again. And and that means that we are in a day now that we ought to fast. And because so few scriptures speak of fasting, I thought it would be helpful for us to end with some applications about fasting. The reality of Jesus, we need to think through how that ought to shape how we fast until he comes back. So how do we do this? Well, let's think about this application for a minute. First, let me give you a caution about two dangers when it comes to fasting. I think we've got a couple of dangers when we think through fasting. Uh, Let me set those out front. Um, These are protective guards. Uh, The first danger is asceticism. Now, now asceticism is that idea that you can deny yourself something and should deny yourself something so that you can win favor with God. And we've had many ascetics in the past who have encouraged all sorts of really strange, uh, painful practices like uh, extended fast. Um, or other painful endeavors to draw near to God. Um, Many of you have probably heard of Daniel the Stylite, right? The guy who, uh, this is true story as far as we know, I don't think this is lore, he actually uh, spent 33 years living on a pillar, three pillars, he would just kind of rotate between them, right? So I guess if he had an Apple watch and he was trying to like keep track of his steps for the day, it would have looked something like this. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is, a, this is the space that he lived on. He would sleep on it. He did that for 33 years. You know how hard it is to witness to somebody when you're living on a pillar? It's pretty hard. You know how hard it is to sleep? Can you imagine falling off that thing? And he thought that this won him great favor with God. Well, it did win him a, a pretty good uh, place in history books for Christianity, but I'm not so sure that was the best way to please God. See, that, that's one danger that we have. We can start fasting in such a way that we think to ourselves, well, I have done this, so God owes me, and we might even get angry with God because we think that he's not giving us what we deserve. 
Well, let me just let you know, like, when, when you fast, if you fast longer, you probably will get angry, probably get hangry, right? You'll notice that you've got, like, those hunger angers where you're like, I need food, or I'm going to, like, you know, maybe kill a small child. This is bad. Like, I just need food now, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I think that in those moments, what actually happens is, in our fasting, we start to see more of our own hearts and the sin issues that we have. And we need to realize the point of our fasting really is to draw us near to God, and as we draw near to God, we're going to see some sin in our hearts. We need to repent of those things and turn more faithfully to God and trust in hope. But be careful not to turn your fasting into an idol. An idol that you, become, you begin to worship and trust it and what it deserves because of your faithfulness to it. The other danger is consumerism. And this is probably where most of us are at. Uh, most of us live in a consumeristic culture that's just really about getting more goods and getting them quickly and when we want, as fast as we want, Right? I mean, it's hard to think about fasting in a culture where you've got McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and you're like, I can go through a drive-thru and, oh man, I just broke my fast. That took like two seconds. I didn't have to go out and kill a chicken to, you know, kill this fast. Uh, I just went to a window, ordered, five seconds later, I was remembering that I was supposed to be fasting today. We just live in this consumeristic culture that tells us that, you know, it's all about getting more and getting it now. And in that culture, we can forget about the value of fasting. So hear me, asceticism, asceticism can tell you that you need to uh, idolize uh, fasting. Uh, consumerism can tell you that there's no value in it, and you just want value. And some of us are probably somewhere between those, maybe on one end of the spectrum. One we don't, because we're like, what's it going to do for me? Like, is it really going to succeed in what I'm looking for to get out of it? Uh, the other is, uh, I'm going to do it, and God's really going to owe me if I do this. And, and we need to understand that neither of those are true. Uh, our fasting ought to be focused on Christ. Christ and what He has achieved for us. Christ and what He has promised for us. Christ and the future that, that looks forward, we look forward to. Those are the way that, ways that we ought to be thinking about fasting. So, what do we fast for? Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm thinking I need to fast, so what do I fast for? Well, let me give you some things that, that you can fast for. See, we find in the Bible all kinds of illustrations of fasting. Uh, one, uh, we've already seen that we fast to remind our hearts to hunger after heaven after the presence of God, right? We just saw that with Jesus uh, when he was speaking to the disciples. He is the bridegroom who is with us. And when he is with us, uh, we do not fast, we feast. But when he, is, he goes away, we fast. And why is that? Well, it's because when he's here, we've got what we need and want. We've got Jesus himself. And when he's away, we don't have Jesus like we want him. We want him back. And that's why we fast. We want more of God. We fast to remind our stomachs that man doesn't live by bread alone. We need Jesus himself. There's a second thing that we, we fast for in the Bible. We fast to fight sin. You'll, you'll remember that Jesus in Matthew 4 is about to be tempted by Satan himself and he fasted 40 days before going before Satan to fight him with nothing but God's word. And, and friends, that gives us, I believe, a picture of the way that we ought to face temptation. If we are struggling with sins, if you have a sin that you're struggling with this morning, uh, maybe you need to fast and pray that God would help you conquer that sin, that he would bring help around you to help you defeat that. See, fasting helps us recalibrate our hearts to the glory of God. The third thing that we fast for is to strengthen prayer. Uh, You'll remember that before leading exiles back to Jerusalem, Ezra held a fast to protect them on their journey. In Ezra 8.23, he says, because of the danger we feared, We fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayers. So may we pray uh, this way for God to heal sickness 
over folks in our congregation. Let's fast and pray that those who are sick would be healed. Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray and fast that we would see more people saved locally and globally. Let's fast that people would come to Christ. Fourth thing that we see prayer for in fasting in the Bible is seeking God's guidance. You'll remember that Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, when they're about to place elders over particular churches that they have raised up and started and loved so much, they fasted. They fasted to think about who they would entrust these people they loved so much, God's people, who they would entrust their souls with. They fasted over that. We see also in the Bible evidence that they prayed and fasted for deliverance and protection, like Queen Esther. You remember when she went before the, the fearsome King Xerxes, the, the great uh, king who was willing to, to devastate nations. She went before him to ask and petition him for mercy for her own little people, the Jews. And she asked for a fast of protection for her before her enemies. I believe that we can still do the same when we pray for our country. Asking for protection from enemies that might result from our own nation's sins. We also see evidence of prayer and fasting for repentance. So in 1 Samuel 7, 6, Israel fasted and confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. So they fasted and prayed about that. Maybe that's you today. You, you need to repent of some sin in your life and, and you want to take a time and, and fast and pray, asking forgiveness from your Father. He's quick to forgive. He's faithful to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you'll come before Him and ask it. And also... We see it as an expression of love for God. I love the picture of Anna, who in, we're told in Luke that Anna had spent 84 years in the temple as a, a woman who was um, alone and, and prayed to God daily in those 84 years. Three verses in the Bible cover those 84 years, and we're told that she worshiped and fasted and prayed day and night because she loved God and awaited the coming of Jesus. And that's the picture that we get of Anna. Now, these are, I believe, all good reasons we have in the Bible for fasting. And there are more. But what we'd like to do is we'd like to think about this week. It's, it's January. It's the beginning of January. We're beginning a new year. A great time for new starts. and For thinking about how God might use us and what God might do in your life. And this is an excellent time, I believe, for all of us to fast and to pray. And we'd like to encourage that this morning. Now, before we talk about what we're going to do, I want to read you an encouraging quote by Hudson Taylor, that famed missionary to Burma, and what he said about fasting. And let that frame our thoughts about fasting as we consider how we might fast together. This is what he says. In Shanzi, I found Chinese Christians who are accustomed to spend time in fasting and prayer. They recognize that this fasting, which so many dislike, which requires faith in God, since it makes, no, it makes one feel weak and poorly, is really a divinely appointed means of grace. Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength with which we are so apt to lean upon. See, fasting and prayer, it reminds us of our weakness before God and our need of Him. And so we want to, as elders, encourage you to to join us in a corporate fast this coming week. I know you hadn't planned for it. Maybe that's good. Maybe we caught you by surprise, and you can do it before you think too much about it. But hopefully you'll think more about it, and, and you'll realize that this is something that Jesus would encourage us to do. 
Now you'll notice that this morning in your bulletin, uh, we did hand out this little card. Everybody got one of these? Can y'all? Have you lost it already? It's a little card. Can I see it? If you maybe just hold it up, that'll let me know that we're tracking. Yeah, so this is a little card that we've handed out. And you'll notice what it, it says. It says, I'm committing to fast uh, one day this week. Um, now, we don't want you to flaunt your fasting. We know, that, we know what Jesus says about that. Um, but we do want to keep up with uh, what, people are, uh, what day people are fasting on. We would love if we had somebody fast every day this week through Saturday. So Monday through Saturday. Uh, we're encouraging uh, you, if you would, just to send us an email if you're going to take us up on this so that we know that we have somebody for every day. Uh, I actually already um, have decided that Tom McClellan, who's on sound in the back, he's going to fast for every day that nobody signs up for. So you could really help Tom out uh, if you just let us know if you're, if you're fasting on a day so that he doesn't have to fast all the days. I'm taking Friday, so I just want to let you know. Um, that's the day, I, one day I spend a lot of time on writing sermon, and I'll be in God's Word, and it'll be a great time of fasting for me in prayer intermittently. Um, we're, we're opening it up so that you can fast in different ways. Um, we don't want to be legalistic about this because the Bible's not, but we wanted to let you know uh, that, uh, that there are different ways you could do this. We would encourage sun up to sundown, right? So that means that if you were to do Monday, you still could like watch the football game and eat and stuff. And aren't you glad we're doing this in January rather than doing this in June? So uh, sun up to sundown, a lot closer together, right? We're helping you out. And so um, what we want to do is, is basically spend that time praying to God about something specific. Now, on this card, we've got a number of things that we would love to have you pray for. New baptism candidates coming up. We have some baptisms coming up next week and so on. And we'd like you to pray for those folks specifically. Uh, We also would love for you to pray for our leadership, our elders and our deacons. We need God's help. We'd love to have your prayer over that. Uh, Members with illness, um, specific folks. uh, I can tell you one thing I'll be praying for is my wife. Uh, Y'all can pray for what you've got. Maybe you have somebody who's sick. Maybe you're single and you're like, man, I would love a wife or a husband. I'd love a godly wife or a husband. And I know I'm going to need God for that. So maybe you could just take that time of fasting to pray and ask for that, that God would give you a godly spouse. Uh, Maybe you've got a child coming and you want to pray for their safety and that they would come to know the Lord at an early age. Great use for that time. Uh, You could pray for specific lost family or or friends uh, that that you would love to see come to Christ. Uh, Fast and pray that God would save their souls. You can pray for our newly elected government. Maybe you're just really scared about the government or maybe you're really happy. Either way, uh, you could pray and, and pray that our country would honor God and that God would have a blessing on us. And you can pray for our missionaries. And you can find all of those, of course, on the internet. So we want to pray together for those things. Uh, you'll notice on the back we had uh, explicit folks that you can be praying for. Again, there might be something expressly specific that you want to pray for. Uh, we would like, though, for you to find something and zero in and focus on praying for that thing. Now, in addition to that, collectively pray for our church and those sorts of things. But those specific areas that I told you about, make those focused times of your prayer. Now, you might be saying, I don't know if I want to go sun up to sundown. Maybe you can't for medical reasons, but you want to pray. Let us know. We would love to have your prayers if you can't do it for medical reasons. Could be that you're, you're like, uh, it's not for medical reasons. It's just I don't think I can make it a whole day. I think I can maybe do a meal. Like, let's start slow, Pastor. Well, do a meal. Uh, let us know you're going to be doing a meal. Um, we'd love to know what day it is uh, and be encouraged by the fact that you're participating with us. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, this coming week. Uh, if you would commit to emailing us and letting us know 
when you're going to be doing that again. That would be great. I would love if we had people Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, praying and fasting over these issues. Um, I really do believe that God loves when his people pray and fast to him, showing our weakness and our dependence on his strength. So let's begin the year doing that, confessing together that we are dependent on the strength of God, not on our own strengths and efforts. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together.